Okay, so 1 John 4, 7 through to 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Morning, everyone. My name's Gavin. I'm the pastor at Gledswood Hills, our sister church, which is my great joy and privilege. Every so often, someone does a Bible reading, and I don't really feel like I need to preach after it. Thank you, Michael, for that Bible reading. But I've done all this work this week, so <laughs> I'll preach. Um, we're thinking about Christian assurance this morning, and um, I'm going to pray for us as we come to this all-important doctrine uh, of Christian assurance that God will help us to understand his word. Loving Father and Almighty God, thank you for your love. Thank you that you are love. And God, we pray that you'll help us to have clear minds, open hearts to receive your word. And Lord, we pray by your Holy Spirit that you'll really strengthen us in our assurance, in, in comfort us in the knowing of just how deeply we are loved by you and uh, cared for, protected, safe uh, in your arms. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder, do you know for sure that God loves you? And how can you know for sure, for certain, uh, that God loves you? After all, we're so very small, aren't we, in comparison uh, to God. Our grubby planet, really full of sin and evil and war, is so small compared to God. God is bigger than the universe in terms of his power and his scope. How small are we, these tiny little specks on this kind of sin-filled, war-ridden planet, we're like a speck of dirt on a grubby tennis ball compared to God. And if you know me, you know that I'm a tennis player. 
I've actually got lots of tennis balls here today. speck of dirt. I've got one here. Look at that. A particular speck of dirt on the ball. That's not even you. That's the MacArthur region um, is that speck. And you're like a speck on the speck. Why would an almighty God who is so much bigger than we are and compared to this tennis ball love us? And how can we be sure that he loves us? Well, I'm going to tell you why he loves us. We're going to see there's two places that his love can be clearly seen. And there's five reasons in this passage why you can have absolute assurance of God's love for you this morning. So we're going to hook in. But before we hook in, I want you to throw all the balls back and I'm going to try and catch them. Here you go. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's one. Yeah. Good. Oh, nice. Kids get a free tennis ball later, that's fine. Go. Oh, that's big. <laughs> cool, all right. We're going to get into it now. God is love is the first point. On your handouts, if you've got a handout, you can follow along in the outlines um, and you can take notes if you want. There's one big reason that God loves us and that is that God is love. Look at verse 7 with me. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. When we consider the world with its oceans and tsunamis of suffering and pain and evil, broken promises, broken relationships, sadly, the MacArthur is the capital for domestic violence in New South Wales, which is really, really tragic and worthy of prayer. There's currently 39 countries in the world where war rages with less than 10,000 casualties, three with more than 10,000 casualties. There's a war going in Myanmar that's been raging since 1948. 5,000 people died last year in this war. And of course, there's a war raging in Ukraine where estimates are between one and 300,000 deaths because of this war. No one knows. How can there be a God who really loves such a sin-ridden, evil-ridden planet, let alone me and you. Yet John insists in this letter that God loves. In fact, it's the very nature of God to love his people. The horrors of our world do not escape God's gaze, nor do they escape his concern. And we find peace in the knowing that God is loving. His sovereign hand remains even when sin seems to rule. And we ought to be amazed and comforted at the realisation that such an infinite yet personal creator is not too great to be bothered with our tiny lives. He's not so great that he can't be bothered with our tiny lives. In fact, although you might feel like a speck on a grubby tennis ball, 
You were all fearfully and wonderfully made in your mother's womb by this loving God, intricately put together. He knows how many hairs are on your head. God loves you. We didn't do anything to earn his love. We certainly don't deserve his love. But the fact remains that God loves us because that is his nature. It is in his nature to love. Love is God's nature and he cannot deny his nature. It's his very being. That's who he is. He is love. He loves. He always has for all eternity. God the Father has eternally loved the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Son loved the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loved the Father and the Son eternally. God is love. And that same divine, cosmic, eternal and all-powerful God loves you. And we know because we've seen it on display and we still see it today. God's love is clearly on display in two places revealed in this passage. The first won't surprise you, but the second might. Look at verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So the first place we see God's love clearly on display is, of course, at the cross where Jesus died for the sins of the world. I wonder if you've heard the story of the merciful king. The merciful king lived in a kingdom far, far away, and he was a great king. He was the most powerful man in the kingdom, and he was also the kindest and gentlest man in the whole realm. The kingdom was known for its peace and its harmony and its goodwill. Neighbours cherished one another. Years would pass with absolutely no crimes being committed whatsoever. It was a wonderful place to live. However, one day, the chief servant of the merciful king came into the throne room with bad news. King, there's a thief in your kingdom said the servant. And the king was astonished. Find the thief, he said, and he will be, he will be um, given ten lashes. He'll be whipped ten times. Well, the onlookers were just astonished. There hasn't been a crime in years. can't believe this. Now, a week, went, a week went by and they still hadn't found the thief and the servant came into the throne room and said, King, bad news, we still haven't found the thief, but he continues to steal. And the king said, find that thief and he'll get 25 lashes. And the people thought, oh my goodness, 25 lashes, that is very extreme. Who could, who could stand such a punishment? Time went on and again, they could not find the thief. The king was enraged and said, 50 lashes for this thief when he's found. The people thought that would be enough to kill a person. 50 lashes, not even the king could handle that, we don't think. Soon afterward, the servant came again and said, sire... I've got bad news. What is it? We found the thief. Well, why is that bad news? Bring the thief to me immediately. They brought the thief to the king, and as the crowd slowly parted, as they let in the thief, the thief now stood trembling in the middle of the crowd, and to the utter shock and dismay of all people, the, king, the thief was the king's aged mother. There she stood, trembling and crying. Her small and frail body was shaking with fear and shame. She was perhaps the very last soul that anyone would suspect of stealing from the king. 
And there stood the king in shock and deeply wounded by what his mother had done. The crowd began to wonder and murmur, what will the merciful king do? Will he set aside the law and display his love and mercy by forgiving his mother of her crimes? Or will he display his sovereignty and justice by giving her exactly what she deserved, the 50 lashes for her crimes? Will he choose mercy or will he choose justice? The king raised his hand to quiet the crowd. Bring the whipping post, he said. The crowd was dumbfounded. Would he really do this to his own mother? The king, surely the king couldn't even survive this flogging. His mother wouldn't last even a few strokes. The old woman was tied to the post. Her garment was rent, exposing her back. You could see her ribs because she was such a frail old lady. Just as the whip master was about to unleash his first stroke, the king cried, Halt! And the king walked down the aisle and took off his own shirt and he covered over his mother and then said, Continue and took the lashings on behalf of his mother. That is what Jesus did for us, didn't he? He covered us over and he took the punishment that we all deserve in our place. This is love. This is God's love on display for us. The merciful king is a story. It's a made-up story, but the love of Jesus at the cross isn't. It's a true story. And the difference in the stories is that the people that he covers over are the ones who hated him, who despised him, who rejected him, who spit in his face, rebels and thieves and sinners like me and you. And Jesus covers us over with his love and takes the punishment that we deserve. The initiative is entirely God's initiative. God gives his love to those who do not deserve his love because he is love. Now let's be honest, if it were not the fact, if it wasn't for the fact that God is love, we would have no we ought to have no expectation of forgiveness, no hope, no future. The initiative in the work of salvation belongs entirely to the God of love. And this love is seen most clearly at the cross. But God's love continues to be on display today in this very hall. Verse 11, look with me. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. The one who suffered was the eternal, unique son of the Father. It was his blood that flowed for our forgiveness. And those who have been forgiven will demonstrate this revolutionary change of heart by their love for one another. God's love continues to be on display through us. God's love supplies the reason and the resources for us to love one another with a genuine other person-centred love. If we're truly his children, we want to be like our Father in heaven who is love and loves others. It's not a suggestion. It's not an extra thing that you add on to your Christian life. This is a command 
If God loved, we also must love one another. Try to get your head around this. The death of Jesus was the the physical demonstration of God's love par excellence. It was the it was the most clear demonstration of God's love for his people. But your love for one another is also a physical demonstration of that same love. And as we experience the love of God from one another, our motivation to love grows toward one another. In other words, love creates more love for one another amongst our congregation. God's love, we're told, finds its completion in us. It says it's perfected in us when we love one another. That's the goal of God's love, is that we will love one another. And get this, as people we know and love, people in our community come into our church and they see this love on display, Christ is revealed to them. The manifold wisdom of God hidden in Christ on display for us whom he has chosen is also on display when people come into our midst and see us loving one another with the love of God. People experience Christ among us as we love one another. How cool is that? The church is an audio-visual presentation of God's life-giving love to our dying culture. And people are desperately seeking God now more than ever since the pandemic. And if that doesn't excite you enough and assure you of God's love enough, well, John goes on to reveal five tributaries all feeding this river of assurance that ought to flow through every Christian's life. So point three, how can we be so sure that we have the love of God? And just as a little mind break, do you know that there's two words in the English language that start that make the sound shh but start with S-U? One of them is sure. What's the other one? Sugar. Very good. Sure and sugar. Interesting, hey? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, we're back. Okay. Five ways. Uh, we can have assurance of God's love. The first is we have the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He's given us of his spirit. The Holy Spirit constantly points us back to the word of God, convicting us of the truths on the lips of Jesus. We know that we have the spirit because we feel the need to read our Bibles. If you're a Christian, how many times have I heard people say, I should read my Bible more? You feel that? Yes? Yes. I feel like I should read my Bible more. Well, you only feel like you should read the Bible at all because you have the Holy Spirit in your heart saying, read your Bible. It's really good. You'll be really encouraged and assured if you read the Bible more. It's testament to the Holy Spirit in our heart that we want to read the Bible. It's testament to God's Holy Spirit in our heart that we want to pray and we feel bad or like we've missed out if we're not spending more time in prayer. And the Holy Spirit moves us to love one another. We see God's love on display in amazing ways amongst his community. Seth has such a lovely demeanour up the front, doesn't he? I just really enjoyed his kid's spot and then his uh, little announcement about about Fiji. And what a blessing that he's been given thousands of dollars to go to Fiji 
on this mission trip. That's a bit weird in normal kind of social circles, but not in here. And you all think, yeah, well, yeah, he's going to preach it. That's really good. No, it's amazing. And it's a testament to the work of the Holy Spirit, the thousands of dollars are being given to this lovely young man, to go on a mission trip to another country to tell them about Jesus. It's bizarre if you think about it outside the, the life of the church, but so normal for us. It's a testament to the work of the Holy Spirit that we want to love one another. We know we have the Spirit because we want to come to church. We want to be here. We know we really, really have the Holy Spirit if we want to be here on time. <laughs> oh, that was cheeky, wasn't it? <laughs> I do feel for the band, I've got to say, who work, they get here really early and they work really hard to be ready to sing and it's a, it is disheartening when, you know, the church is half full. I understand life gets in the way sometimes, but anyway, there's a kind of kudos for the band. Love you, band. Thank you, musicians. I'm not one. Uh, we want to come to church. Um, we might get lazy, we might get weary about coming to church, but in our heart of hearts, we want to be here. And I highly commend the Church Weekend Away. The Church Weekend Away just achieves so much relationally. It's like 30 weeks of church in one weekend. It's so good. And, um, yeah, I, I add my commendation to you that if, if finances are... Uh, don't let finances be a burden. Don't let them get in the way. Speak to somebody. And Jono will be there. Uh, he will be back from holidays. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jono will be back. Um. We want to read our Bibles, we want to pray, we want to go to church because of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. Conversely, if someone doesn't really want to be here and don't really want to read their Bible, we must question if the love of God and God's Spirit is in that person at all. Secondly, apostolic testimony. We have the apostolic testimony as an assurance of God's love for us. Verse 14, we've seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. That is, John has seen, we didn't see it. Um, John saw it, as did the other apostles. Um, they saw Jesus. They were there uh, with Jesus. They saw him. They spoke with him. They ate with him. They, they cast out demons in his name. They performed miracles in his name. They saw him get arrested. They watched him get crucified and die. And then they met with him after he rose uh, from death and ate with him once again. I love John 21, uh, where they have a barbie on the beach. It's so cool. After he rose. The apostolic testimony is written down for us in our Bibles. We can read it whenever we like because we're blessed to have, all have a Bible in our possession, probably 10. And we can read the apostolic testimony and be assured of God's love for us, convicted of the irrefutable truth that Jesus is risen and Lord over all. Thirdly, we have personal testimony. The same testimony found on the lips of the of the, of the first apostles and then Paul and then Silas and then Timothy and then others down through Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and down to Wilberforce and Newton and Richard Johnson who first brought God's word to Australia. That same testimony is now ours. Verse 15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? The only Son of God, begotten from the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, became, became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, 
according to the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe this, don't we? And we remind one another of this as we say the creeds. We testify to one another. We grow one another's assurance with one another as we profess this faith to which we believe corporately and sort of uh, formally but also informally as we meet together, as we encourage one another, as we share the good news of the love of God with one another week in, week out, as we gather. And as we do this, our assurance grows. Our conviction that God loves us swells as we meet and personally testify to one another and to ourselves that God loves us. As we gather, we resist the devil's advances who longs, longs to plant the seeds of doubt in our minds. Oh, this guy hasn't been at church for three weeks, hasn't read their Bible for a while. This one's vulnerable. This sheep has strayed just a bit. I'm going to pick this one off. I was in Africa and we actually saw a lion kill and the, the, the lionesses, the, the, the males do nothing, right? They just hang back and just wait for the feed. The women do all the work. They go in and they startle the pack and the buffalo run in all different directions and at some point one strays from the pack and then they grab it and they grab it, jump on its back and they claw it until it comes down and they rip into its guts and it dies and they hang back and the males kind of lumber over and have breakfast. Um, and this is what the devil longs to do. Startle us, shake us, particularly when we've kind of wandered from the pack a little bit and that's his chance to put the seeds of doubt in our mind. But if we gather... And if we continue this personal testimony to one another, we continue to read of the apostolic witness, our assurance is steadfast and continues to grow. Fourthly, we have confidence in God's love for us. And I think on your handouts it says in Christ, which is, is true. Um, but God's love. Verse 16, we know we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Three weeks ago, I conducted a wedding for a young couple from our congregation, Chris and Alicia. It was lovely. When a man and a woman pledge themselves in a marriage service to live together as husband and wife, the vows which they exchange include solemn promises that they can be relied upon no matter what happens, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. It's an expression of the love which they already have, one for the other, which will deepen as they experience its reality in practice through all the changing seasons of life. Real love can be relied on, but only a commitment of faith will prove it. Real love can be relied on, but only a commitment of faith will prove it. And our experience of God's love is very much like this. It's grounded in his unchanging character of love. As we live in a daily relationship of trust and obedience with him, we are constantly in touch with that divine love and we learn to rely on it more and more. Marriages are strengthened over the years 
as trust is tested and proven to be true and marriages break when trust is tested and isn't proven to be true. And the marriages break down, sadly, when trust is broken. A couple who have been happily married for some years often have such a faith and ought to have such a faith in each other, a mutual understanding of each other, they can tell what the other's thinking without words even being spoken. I don't know if you experienced that in your marriage. You know what the other person's thinking. Uh, they say the longer you're married, the more you become like each other. Have you heard that? Yeah. I've noticed that Lara's top spin forehand has really come along <laughs> in the last 20 years. Um, but her love of the West Tigers probably still has a lot of work. To, probably still a lot of work before she loves the West Tigers as much as me. Probably 20 more thousand years. And uh, she might get there. Now, this sort of intimacy with God is possible. But only if we rely on his love and live in him on a daily basis as husbands and wives do or at least ought to do. If we would think his thoughts by reading his word and giving ourselves to the study of his word, we experience more of his love, rely on him more. If we rely on him more thoroughly in prayer, we experience more of his love towards us. Sometimes God puts us through trials and testings. Because the God who loves us wants us to rely on him more completely, to trust him more fully. He allows such experiences to refine and strengthen our trust and increase our appetite for him. For no one has less of Christ than they really desire. Christ is infinitely loving, infinitely available. You can have as much of Jesus as you desire. How much of Jesus do you desire? In verse 17, we learn that God is always working to perfect his love in us, to make us more like Jesus, constantly working in us. As you live out your faith, as you actively live out your faith, trusting in God's word, praying, loving others, you become more like Christ. What a wonderful encouragement, a wonderful promise from God. And there's no fear, or there should be no fear, in relationship with God because God is perfectly loving. He's love. Because his love is perfectly loving. As many of you will know, this is very hard to wrap your head around if you haven't had a very consistent model of love in your own father. Unfortunately, our experience is that often our father's love is contingent on our behaviour or worse, contingent on our performance academically or on the sporting field. <clears throat> you see there's kind of crazed parent coaches uh, in professional sporting arenas. And the father's love can become contingent on us and what we give to them. And that creates fear because the father's love is varied. It varies depending on, on how we perform. It's not steadfast, it's not consistent, and that creates fear and it creates a lack of confidence in relationship with our Father. Fathers, please be steadfast in your love for your children. When they're young, when they're older, even when they're adults, continue to be steadfast in your love for your children. 
unwavering. Your love for them ought not to depend on them, but you. Other person-centred service of your children should find its source of love in God, not in them. Praise be to the God that he is love and his perfect love, tested throughout our Christian lives, is found to be steadfast time and time again, never ever unwavering and this drives out any fear in our relationship with him. Finally, and very quickly, because we've been talking for a while, our love for one another is again an assurance of God's love at work in us. Our love for one another, verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. I've got a different version, I think, slightly. Sorry about that. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. When God's love begins to fill our lives, he not only gives us a model of how we should live in our human relationships, he gives us the desire and the ability to do it to reflect his love to others. Brothers and sisters, love is other person-centred service of one another. Other person-centred service. You do it for them, not because you feel like it. Are you giving your all for your church, for your brothers and sisters? If you are, praise God. And know that you will grow in your assurance because you are loving with the love of God, and that grows your assurance of him. If you're not, if you come to church to be served only rather than to serve, I mean church ought to feed us and grow us, of course. We, we are served when we come to church. But if we come to church with a self-centred notion that I'm here just to be served, well, then we're not actually living out God's love in us. We're not being committed to loving others, as God has commanded us to do. And we rob ourselves of the assurance that ought to be growing and isn't. And we rob others of the assurance we could be growing in them, but we're not. Are there ways you could be serving in a ministry team that you're not? I've written here, talk to Jono or Ben. Neither of them are here. Um, Jono will be here later. <laughs> Jono will be here any minute. Um, talk to John O'Ban about how you might serve and love others. Consider, not necessarily a ministry team, but is there other ways that you could love, care for, give more attention to other people uh, in church? Love them, make the time, make the effort, even if it might be at your own cost. What does this mean for us today? Knowing God's love gives us absolute assurance in him. The great tragedy of Roman Catholic doctrine is that there's something you have to do. You have to be baptised. You have to take your first Holy Communion. You have to confess your sins to the priest. You have to go and do the Eucharist uh, on a regular basis. You have to do these things. I was going to do a little kind of science experiment thing, but you can picture it. Imagine a Christian ought to have a clear conscience, like a clear glass of water. But the minute that we're told we must do something to add to our salvation. It's like putting drops of food colouring into the water and our conscience is just becomes murky. Our assurance is rattled and shaken. The minute we're told we need to do something for our salvation, our assurance 
is watered down and eventually is lost. I had a dear boss who was a Roman Catholic had no assurance, no confidence what was going to happen on the last day. He was just hoping that God would save him. And that's just a great, real tragedy. God has given us every reason to have full assurance of his great love for us. Living out God's love learned in the Bible grows our assurance of him. We're not just a speck on a grubby tennis ball. We're known intimately by God, loved by him, indwelt by his Holy Spirit. We're loved by him. And as we love one another, three things happen. And the first is we grow more like Jesus. As we love one another, God grows us to be more Christ-like. The second thing that happens is we spur one another on to love and good deed. We grow as we love others. We grow their love for others as well. We, as, as we love others, our assurance grows and their assurance grows as well. And thirdly and finally, as we love one another, we reveal Jesus to the world, to those who don't know him. We make Jesus visible to the world through our love for one another. Let me pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you so much that you are love, that you love us, that you care for us, that you're mindful of us, that you've gone to extraordinary lengths to convince us and convict us of your love for us, most clearly seen through Jesus on the cross, but also manifest through the love that the church has one for the other. Lord, we thank you for this. We pray most of all you'll grow our assurance of your love for us, our, our trust, our peace of mind and heart. We are loved. Give us confidence in your love for us. If anyone has doubts of your love for them, drive them out, we pray. If anyone has fear in their relationship with you, drive it out, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we do pray that you grow us in our love for one another. Thank you for the great love that is shown here in Harrington Park and has been for 20-odd years. Please continue to grow us as your children in our love for one another, we pray. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.